Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. This morning, I once again am uh, turning to Daniel. You can turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. struggling a little bit to know exactly where all to go this morning with this message. And I think one of the, one of the reasons is, as we think of this story here in Daniel 3, that I do tend to favor the um, end-time beliefs that usually are ascribed to the pre-tribulation crowd. I believe they are biblical. And one of those beliefs is that the church does not necessarily need to worry a lot about figuring out what the mark of the beast will be because we won't have to go through that. But at the same time, I don't necessarily have a Bible verse that can guarantee this. And so I do think as we get closer and closer to the rapture, to the second coming of Christ, that we do need to be careful that we're not deceived or that we um, do things that will put our walk with Christ in jeopardy. As we look at some of the different, uh, this morning I'm not going to look at a lot of the things in Revelation, I will go to a couple of passages, but I believe one of the reasons that there are those who believe in the mid-tribulation or post-tribulation is because they say that why would God put those things in the Bible that may happen after the rapture of the church. And I believe the reason is is that God's word will still be around. The Antichrist will not be able to completely eliminate that. And so some of what's in scripture may be for those who are believers after the church is taken out. But I do believe we need to be careful in the day and age we live in, that we do not simply follow after everything the world is doing around us and to be careful. I believe things that are happening today have to be considered significant mile markers along the highway to the final days of the end times. As we look at Daniel 3 today, I think we should be careful not to compare everything to us today. I don't believe yet that we're at the point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I believe it may be close, and I think we should be prepared and recognize that the freedoms and the blessings that we've enjoyed the last couple hundred years in this country may not be there until we pass away. 
As we look at Daniel 3 today, I want us to think a little bit about what happened in Daniel 1 when uh, Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon. And then in Daniel 2, we looked at more recently when their lives were threatened with the king's dream. At that point, we believe that Daniel and his friends were probably teenagers, could have been early 20s. And if you remember the end of Daniel 2, Daniel was given power, great power in the kingdom of Babylon, but he did not accept it. He handed it off to his three friends, and they were put in those powers of, uh, positions of power or leadership, and that's where we find ourselves today. As I looked it up, um, studied it, 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 they believe that 15 to 20 years had passed between Daniel 2, the end of Daniel 2, and the beginning of Daniel 3. And so that would put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel around their mid-30s, early 40s. And so, as far as we know, they still held those positions of leadership all that time. They were still rulers in the kingdom of Babylon. And so let's pick up uh, Daniel 3, beginning at verse 1. And Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes and the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. <clears throat> How high is 60 cubits high? There are, there are two different cubic lengths considered, at least in the Bible. It, um, one person that I came across as I was studying said that they believe that most times the cubit referred to in the Bible is considered the royal cubit, and it's the longer one, somewhere between 19 and a half inches to 20 and a half inches. That would make this statue about 90 to 100 feet tall. Um, for those of you who struggle with heights and understanding how high something is, most silos around here are about 60 to 80 feet tall. So this would have been a little bit taller than that. Six cubits wide, about 9 to 10 feet wide, is about half the width of those silos. So it was a very tall and very skinny statue. But as we know, when we look out the windows today, it's a bit hard with the snow coming down. But on a clear day, you can see those silos from my, a couple miles away. And so we don't know how many people were gathered together, how many of the, it had to be a lot of people. Babylon ruled much of the known world at that time. And it says that people came from the, the leaders, politicians, the, even the sheriffs, the, anybody involved with the government in, leaders, in leadership power were called to come. So there's a lot of people 
with the tall statue, they definitely knew which direction they should look. We don't know exactly why Daniel wasn't there, but if we look back at the end of chapter 2, the fact that Daniel didn't take that leadership that he was given, but gave it to his three friends, may be an indication of why Daniel was not required to be there that day. Going on to verse 4. Then an herald cried aloud, it is, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackput, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackput, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. It made, the, the scripture here makes quite a point that it was not just those who understood the language of Babylon, but it was all the different nations that had been taken over by the kingdom of the empire of the Babylonians. What was the, the significance of falling down before this image? I don't really think that most of these people necessarily looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and looked at him as a god or an object to worship, per se. But I believe it was rather a significance of allegiance. Who were they going to obey when push came to shove? Who were they going to follow after and do whatever was asked? And I believe the fact that it mentions different languages, the idea is that there would have been people of different religions there that day and yet King Nebuchadnezzar was supposed to come first and so they were marking their allegiance to the king and nothing else would come before their obedience to him verse 8 wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews and they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar O king live forever thou O king hast made a decree that every man should hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that, he shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow down? I'm sure there would have been many excuses they could have made to themselves about, well, we'll bow down in body, but our minds, in our minds will be bowing to God. Or They could have made other excuses about how they could appear to obey, but not be obeying in their hearts. But they recognized the fact that by bowing to this image, they were putting something over God. They were giving worship and honor to something other than God. And I'll come back to that more later, but 
I want to look at now at the accusers. Who were these accusers? The Chaldeans. We don't know a lot about them, but we see them in chapter 2 of Daniel as some of those who were the counselors to the king. They didn't just come and tattle. Um, It doesn't say it here in our English, in our KGV, in our King James, but in the ESV it says they maliciously accused them. And if you go to the Strong's Hebrews Dictionary, it would indicate there are two words there to speak of the being accused, that it wasn't just a slight accusation, but a slandering they wanted to destroy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their reporting on them. What is, it significant, what is significant about them saying, O king, live forever? On one hand, you could argue, well, it must mean they thought the king was deity or would actually could live forever. But we all, to, to counter that, if we look in Daniel 6, which I won't take the time, but we know the story there when Daniel was in the lion's den and he was protected. He came out of the lion's den and he met the king. He's made the very same statement, O king, live forever. So I don't believe that through this statement they were believing that King Nebuchadnezzar was actually deity because we know Daniel didn't believe that because Daniel believed in the one true God. But I believe they were trying to butter him up. They were trying to show their love and loyalty to him. But they go, then they go on to accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why would they do that? What would there be their motivation? And I think it was jealousy. You would have thought that after what had happened 15 years before, when... Daniel saved their very lives. They were going to be killed because they couldn't tell the king's dream, couldn't tell the, the meaning of the dream. But it seems like all these years, it just really gotten under their skin and made them bitter that these three Jewish boys had been given positions of power higher than them that they were given such a prominent place in the Babylonian Empire. And they thought, here's our chance to eliminate these men and secede them and their positions. We know today that if you look back through world history, the politics and the power that comes with that can make men do awful things. And in this case... They were willing to cause the deaths of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to get that power. Picking up at verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well, 
But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we may, will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. It's interesting here. The king had made it very clear. Everybody knew the result of not bowing down to the idol, to the image. And yet, we think back often when Anabaptists and other Christians were thrown into prison during the Reformation. Priests and politicians would come and try to convince them to change their minds. They would get them to try to see it in a different way. And the king said, you know, I'm going to give you one more chance. Maybe you didn't understand. Maybe you didn't quite get it the first time even though they clearly had, and they knew why they had not bowed down. And so once again, we see that happening here. And this made the king very furious. He, had already, he already was angry that they had not bowed down the first time. But once they made it clear that they had a greater trust in their own God than in him, they feared their own God more than they feared King Nebuchadnezzar, then it, it gives the idea that he snapped, that he completely lost it. And I appreciate their, their stand and their thing. They recognized that God was able to deliver them, but they also recognized that he may choose to deliver them other, in another way, other than from the fire. But they made it clear that they would not worship. And we'll pick up there, verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake, and he commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments, and they were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. And then was, I'm going to pause there again. What was going through the mind of these three men as they were bound up that day? I believe they thought, just like Stephen did when he was being stoned, that they were going to enter eternity at that point. I don't think they had any illusion that God would necessarily choose to protect them. They knew he was able, but they had no guarantee of that. I 
I don't know what they did when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but I would imagine that they were looking up, expecting in the next moments to be in the presence of God. And yet they went willingly. Would we be able, would we have the strength to do the same? I think only with the strength of God in our lives would we, but they were willing to do that. Did they feel the heat that day? I don't think they did. And it would give the idea, as we read the next verses here, that as soon as they entered the fire, the Son of God was with them. And that had to be an incredible peace to that, that even though one moment they believed that they were about to die, the next moment... Instead of being dead, the presence of God is there with them in a real way. Verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire, and the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their heads singed, Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Now one thing I don't think is necessarily clear is, did only King Nebuchadnezzar see the fourth man? We don't know for sure, but it definitely makes it clear that all those people that were there that day, to, that bowed down and worshipped the image, were able to see that the three men went in and three men came out unhurt. And I had to wonder if some of them didn't run up to them and touch their clothes, feel their skin, not quite believing what they had just seen. Was it possible that these men survived that heat even though other men had died just trying to get close to it? They recognized that there was a power greater than that they had ever seen. It's interesting that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't make all these people suddenly start worshiping the God of the Jews, but he did make it illegal for them to say anything against it. And I'm not going to take time today, but in Revelations chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, when Jesus comes back to earth 
and defeats the Antichrist and the armies of this world, I believe the same thing will happen again. When Jesus comes back, he won't necessarily make everyone worship him. But I don't believe people will be allowed to say anything against him. And now looking at the last verse in chapter 3 here. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Can you imagine the anger that the Chaldeans now had? I think this is most likely why we have the story of Daniel 6. It's that this made them even more upset and jealous that God had once again intervened. And they didn't just keep the positions that they had, they were promoted and received even more opportunity to lead and oversee the provinces. In closing, I want us to think about, are we willing today to suffer? There was no guarantee, like I mentioned earlier, there was no guarantee that God was going to save them that day. We know the story of Stephen and other disciples and apostles in the New Testament believers who even though they were put in the same position as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God chose not to deliver them. They died at the hands of their persecutors. So we never know when we take a stand and our life is on the line whether we'll remain alive on this earth or whether God's deliverance will come through eternal life and being with him. But I believe we are getting closer and closer to time when we may have to like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, take my life before I'm going to bow to a man, to a government, to the laws of this world that are causing me to be in conflict with God's word. So what should we do as things become more difficult? Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verses 24 through 28. And the verses preceding this, Jesus is talking about what the Jews will go through in Jerusalem when Jerusalem is uh, besieged by the Romans and most of the people in the city will die either of famine or the sword. Then in verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon, coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, 
Then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I believe verse 24 was speaking of what would happen to the Jews by AD 70, 72. Because we see in world history that the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem, out of the nation of Israel, into nations all around the world. It talks about Jerusalem being trodden under the feet of Gentiles, and we know that through history, that the Crusades sent Crusaders to Jerusalem to take it back from the Muslims, and the Muslims would take it back from the Crusaders. And it was just centuries upon centuries when the Jewish people, even though there was a remnant living in Jerusalem, they did not control it. It was controlled by Gentiles. Then it speaks until the time the Gentiles be fulfilled. And I believe that in the last 50 years that this first part here, that Jerusalem would no longer be trodden down to the Gentiles, has been fulfilled. But I believe the time of the Gentiles is still here, but could be very close to the end. And I, so I believe that we're living somewhere there between verses 24 and verse 25. We know that in the coming years, as it says there, the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves, men hearts failing them for fear. There's been a lot of fear, people fearful in the last two years with what's been happening, but I think it's going to get, get worse before it gets better, as they say, when Jesus comes to earth. Are we ready to suffer? Are we ready to walk through whatever Christ has? We can look at this story, we can, it can be fearful because it's different than what we've experienced in our lifetimes. But at the same time, God gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego power to be faithful even in the face of death. And I believe that we can have that same power available to us. We can, still, we can have that same hope that no matter how God chooses to deliver us, we know that he will. Revelations 22.20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And I hope that's our prayer that Rather than being discouraged and depressed, that we look up, we look to Jesus. Not knowing when he will return, but being assured of the promise that he will. And that he will deliver us from whatever lies ahead. But that we need to be faithful. We need to be diligent. I don't believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have faced the, the difficulty, the challenge that day, except that they were walking with, Christ, walking with God before that, that they had been obedient to him. And so on that day, even though they didn't know ahead of time, I don't believe what was coming way ahead, they knew what they should do that day. They knew how they should respond, and I hope that we do too, and that God will give us the strength 
to be faithful to him until he comes again. Lord bless each one of you.